when you came in, uh, you should have been handed an outline, white paper. Uh, don't be intimidated by how much stuff is on that, please. The last 11 points are strictly for your supplemental, unless you want to stay till Labor Day. Now, if you want to stay to Labor Day, we'll cover it all. But the last 11 points on there are supplemental agreements that pastors and theologians agree, agree upon uh, about forgiveness. So, like I said, don't be intimidated by the length of that outline. Our text tonight is found in Matthew 6, verses 12, and then 14 and 15. And let me just read those, and then we'll continue. At verse 12, which is within the context of the Lord's Prayer, says, And forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And then jumping down to 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses tonight we're going to be focusing on the fifth petition in the lord's prayer that of forgiveness specifically what does it mean when we say we are forgiven as we forgive those who have offended us forgiveness is the i have down here heart but i think a more appropriate word is life lifeline lifeblood forgiveness is the lifeblood of the christian faith c.s lewis says to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And I have to say that many, many times I do not appreciate the depth of God's forgiveness. And I struggle with that at times. <clears throat> in the fifth petition, we're reminded of the relationship we have with the Lord as we ask for forgiveness of our sins and repent, for them, repent of them on a daily basis. But we're presented with the fact now that how we forgive is some way tied to our relationship with Christ. Christ requires us to forgive regardless of what the other person does. No wiggle room there. No ifs, ands, buts about it. You know, and if we're truthful, most of us would probably admit that at times we all struggle with forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you today, we want to commit this time to you. And Father, we do thank you that we can come into the house of the Lord again today and worship you. It's about you, Lord. Father, I pray you'll take uh, my words, my thoughts, and make them yours. Be with us, guide, and direct. In Christ's name, <clears throat> amen. Before we dig deeper into this whole concept of forgiveness, I want to point out five observa observations uh, about this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. First observation, I know everybody here has been there, has done this. You're with a group of believers, probably from other churches, and you all decide to say the Lord's Prayer. Things go great as you begin in the Lord's Prayer. And then you get to that fifth petition, unity flies out the window. You got some that are saying, forgive me of my debts. Some are saying, forgive me of my trespasses. Others are saying, forgive me of my sins. It's awkward, at the least, but I know we've all been there. Well, the word that you use probably reflects uh, on the church, your church upbringing. If you're Presbyterian, Reformed background, you're probably likely to use the word debts. If you're Methodist, Roman Catholic, Anglican, Episcopalian, you probably are using trespasses. And if you're using a more modern-day uh, translation of the Bible, it may be sins. Nearly all the credible uh, Bible translations use the, use the phrase, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it really is no surprise when we look at who wrote the book of Matthew, Matthew. What was Matthew's profession? He was a tax collector. What word is a tax collector going to use? Debts. You know, so it's very appropriate when we think about how it's used. 
you know, one commentator accurately pointed out, I, I really like this, that the words debt and debts to us in 2023 don't mean what they used to mean. For us, words like debts and debtors may mean filing chapter 7 or 13 bankruptcy. But in Jesus' time, and even in the not-so-distant past, it was very common for debtors to be thrown into jail until they could pay or somebody could pay the debt for them. The stark reality of being a debtor is vividly portrayed uh, in Matthew 18 with the parable of the unforgiving uh, servant. But whether you use debts, whether you use trespasses, you, whether you use sins, they're all meant to understand that they are sins. And every day as we sin, we need to ask God for his forgiveness and uh, daily choose to confess and repent those sins. Observation number two, uh, this petition uh, begins with a conjunction and, which indicating a tie to the previous petition of supplying us our daily bread. It's a reminder that we need to pray daily for our needs in addition to our forgiveness. And as it goes on to say in the next petition to delete us from temptation, in order that we maintain that proper relationship with our Lord and Savior. Third observation, if you were a Jew living in Jesus' time, it'd be very common for you in your daily prayers to pray for your daily needs. Give us our bread. Very common. Uh, it was common for Jews to pray for lead us from temptation. What was not common is what Jesus was telling them. And Jesus was essentially coming to them and telling them something along the lines of, please treat me like I treat others. This must have really sh shaken up a lot of the Jews at that particular time. Also tied to this was, is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 in the parable of the unforgiving uh, servant, where Jesus was also saying, forget what the Pharisees said, that you only have to forgive somebody three times. After that, you don't have to worry about forgiveness anymore. Jesus is saying, no. He says, as often as a person needs forgiveness, extend forgiveness. Don't keep a scorecard on how many times you've uh, offered forgiveness. Uh, fourth observation. This uh, fifth petition, it's interesting, it's the only petition within the Lord's Prayer. Now, Lord's Prayer, we consider to go from, uh, what's the first verse? First, uh, I don't even know what the first number is, up to the next uh, petition, which is uh, verse 13. So this petition five is verse 12. It's right in the middle. It's the only petition where the Lord amplifies expounds on a particular petition within the Lord's Prayer. So he's trying to get our attention for some reason. And the way it reads is, in verse 12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And then jumping down two verses to verse 14, it says, for if you've forgiven others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These verses in uh, Matthew 6, 14 to 15 are directed towards the second half of that fifth petition, as we forgive others. Now, most of us realize that biblical truths and commands are frequently repeated throughout the Bible, uh, primarily for emphasis. But sometimes they're there to catch our attention. And I really believe that the repetition that Jesus used here, especially coming right out of the Lord's Prayer, is really meant to wake people up if they've been dozing. And it probably did that for the first century Christians. But, you know, why does he do that? You know, why does Jesus make, repeat the point about forgiveness? I think he really realizes that, you know, we are not perfect. When we're offended, we don't immediately forgive, as we should. 
Uh, rather, we have the sin nature that wants to hang on to anger, resentment, vengeance, self-pity. John Calvin says, as he explains the reason for uh, that amplification on the uh, Lord's Prayer, on verses 14 and 15, John Calvin says, the reason is that God was not ready to, to hear us unless we show ourselves ready to grant forgiveness to those who have offended us. Those who refuse to forget the injuries which have been done to them devote themselves willingly and deliberately to destruction and knowingly prevent God from forgiving them. The last observation I'd like to make, observation number five, is a common misinterpretation of uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And that is that a person can lose their salvation uh, if they refuse to forgive others. To answer that question, we really need to know the context of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, was Jesus addressing believers or unbelievers? If you look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through Matthew 6, verses 15, six times he refers to our Father, your Father, within those uh, few short passes. So it's obvious that the whole context of the Lord's Prayer was written to believers. You know, every earthly father wants to forgive their son for disobedience. And once the son apologizes and admits his error, why does, he, why does the father forgive him? Because he wants to establish a parental relationship with that son again. When we sin against our heavenly father, he's eager to uh, forgive us when we confess and repent of our sins. Why? He wants to have a relationship with us. Very important statement that we're not forgiven of our daily sins just for the sake of forgiveness. We're forgiven, rather, so that our relationship with the Lord can be restored and reconciled. God wants to have a relationship with you. He's just not saying, okay, Jeff, I forgive you of your sin. You know, Ethan, I forgive you of your sin. That's it. No, he's saying that so that he wants to restore the relationship, the line of communication between him and, and you. And I love Isaiah 59.2. It says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's exactly what happens when we, when we sin, when we don't confess the sins, God does not hear our prayers. Learning to forgive those around us is hard. And surprisingly, it's one of the more controversial teachings in the Bible. We're commanded to forgive in numerous passages in the Bible. Uh, we just read Matthew 6:15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. But just knowing that we're supposed to forgive doesn't make it easy. You know, if we're told uh, not to steal, no problem. We know what to do not to steal. We're told uh, not to lie, no problem. We know what's involved in not lying. Uh, we're told not to commit adultery, no problem. We know what's required there. But when it comes to forgiveness, it's not easy. You know, the offenses, the hurts that we face are difficult to go through. But we have to realize that those hurts and those and those uh, offenses that we go through are part of God's sovereign plan and therefore our sanctification. Kevin DeYoung said, uh, there's nothing as important in your life as asking God to forgive your debts and maybe nothing as hard as God asking you to forgive your debtors. You'd probably be surprised if I, t if I told you, and it is true, that the topic of biblical forgiveness is not without controversy. And I'm not talking about the world's view of forgiveness. You know, again, this is biblical concept of forgiveness. 
when we talk about that. Uh, conservatives disagree with other with liberals about biblical forgiveness. Conservatives disagree with conservatives about biblical forgiveness. Reformed theologians and pastors disagree with other Reformed theologians and pastors about forgiveness. There's a lot of controversy when we talk about forgiveness. And it all centers around one central issue. Does the Bible, does biblical forgiveness require repentance? Does biblical uh, forgiveness require repentance? Preparing, preparing for this uh, message tonight, I was surprised that reading so many papers, and I think one of the faults that I've seen in so many papers is the fault of the author not to define terms that are central to their particular argument. They talk about forgiveness, but many of them don't define what, are you, what does I mean, what do you mean by forgiveness? Uh, sometimes they address, you know, is, does this address, is this addressed to believers or is this addressed to unbelievers? So there's a lot of problem in, in reading some of the information that's out there. But, you know, let's go to the topic of what is biblical forgiveness? You know, a popular secular view of forgiveness is that forgiveness involves primarily the offended person. This is a secular view. Primarily the offended person and that that person is to let go, move past, go on. You've probably heard the common phrase, forgive and forget. That's exactly what they're talking about. You know, this definition may sound nice, may sound cutesy, but it really misses the boat when it talks about biblical forgiveness. So what does biblical forgiveness look like? And again, too, there are definitions out there, but let me throw this. This is one that I'm happy with and one that I've come to wrestle. I've probably changed my view on forgiveness during this preparation three or four times. <laughs> Believe me, I'm, I'm being very, very truthful when I say that. What I'm saying tonight is one that I would stand on. Uh, but, uh, you know, a good way to understand biblical forgiveness is to view it as a process of two steps, a process of two steps. First, the first step of forgiveness is to have an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of forgiveness towards the offender. And this is a conscious choice on the person that has hurt to make that attitude of forgiveness towards an offender. The uh, second part, the second step is to extend an action of forgiveness. First you have the attitude, now you have the action of forgiveness. And this is a deliberate course of action which takes place between the person hurt and the offender when they repent of their sin. Now sometimes uh, it's possible to only go through the first step. It's not always necessary to have step one and step two. It depends upon the, the situation. But let me tie that definition to what the Puritan writer Thomas uh, Watson had to say in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer when he was speaking about what forgiveness should look like in our lives. And I think the quote is in your outline. I'm going to start with the last phrase of his, uh, of his quote. Uh, this is gospel forgiving. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well, wish, wish well to them, Grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them or help them. You know, you see within Watson's definition of uh, forgiveness, you see our two uh, steps in forgiveness. You see the attitude of forgiveness and the action of forgiveness. And we'll go through that in just a minute. But you know, let's look first at the attitude of forgiveness uh, based upon what Watson said. Number one, Watson said that we should resist revenge and getting even. This is the attitude of the mind. This is the person that has been hurt 
the first thing that they needed to do, resist revenge and getting even. Romans 12, 19 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The second attitude of forgiveness uh, that Watson points out is to pray for those who have offended us. Matthew 5:44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. A third attitude of forgiveness is uh, that Watson brings out is grieve at their calamities and their sin. Proverbs 24:17 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. You know, why is the state of our heart so important? Why is the state of our heart so important? It prevents unforgiveness. And what happens with unforgiveness? Unforgiveness eats away at our joy. It eats away at our relationship with the Lord. It eats away at the relationship with those around us. I love this quote, and I'm not sure who said it, but the person who said it said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You know, but unforgiveness will just eat away at you. Uh, the next part of Watson's concept of forgiveness, uh, we see the action of forgiveness that we must take place. And this is between the person that is hurt and the uh, offender. First of all, the first point, he says, is that we need to wish them well. Luke 6.28 says, bless those who curse you. The second point is we need to seek reconciliation with them. Romans 12.18 says, if possible... As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And the third point that is part of the uh, action of forgiveness is be willing to come to their relief or be willing to come to their help. Uh, Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I told you a lot of confusion about forgiveness. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at primarily the two main views that are out there. And the first view that's out there is called conditional forgiveness, conditional forgiveness. And you may be surprised to know that this is actually the majority view. Um, Jay Adams, a big proponent of uh, conditional forgiveness. Now, proponents of conditional forgiveness teach that forgiveness should always be conditional. It's conditional on the other party repenting, repenting of their sins. Their rationale is biblically sound. Uh, God forgives only those who repent. God forgives only those who repent. If God forgives only those who repent, we as humans should only forgive others once they repent. So we have the idea of conditional forgiveness. Conditional forgiveness is sometimes called bilateral uh, forgiveness because it involves two parties. Uh, it's called a bilateral transaction sometimes it's written. Uh, since both parties, the party that's hurt and the offender, must be involved in the uh, forgiveness process. The key text that conditional forgiveness relies on is Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, listen to these next, this next phrase, few phrases. Rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The key phrase in Luke 17, 3 is rebuke, Repent, forgive. What's the order? What comes before forgiveness according to conditional forgiveness? People, repentance. Let me throw out a few criticisms that are out there about conditional forgiveness. Uh, it encourages an attitude of confrontation since according to them, every action needs to be confronted. Would that make for a happy marriage 
if Woody, if you were going to Jan every time she said something and saying, this is what you did, this is what you did, marriages wouldn't be very happy, wouldn't be a happy wife, happy life at all. Uh, <clears throat> that is, that's one criticism of conditional forgiveness. The second one is that that verse, Luke 17, 3 and 4, tells us what to do if a person repents, we're to forgive. But it does not say that we should not offer forgiveness if they don't repent. Uh, some also say that uh, conditional forgiveness will encourage a spirit of forgiveness, since you must wait for the other person to repent and uh, ask for forgiveness. Now, the second view of forgiveness, got conditional. The second view of, of forgiveness is called unconditional forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness. And proponents here argue that forgiveness should not be contingent upon the repentance of others. The verse that unconditional forgiveness relies on is Mark 11:25. It says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. It's, you know, there are no conditions in that verse placed on forgiveness. And also the use of the words anything and anyone. So it's pretty broad when it talks about who to forgive and what to forgive for. You know, unconditional forgiveness, again, is really referred to as unilateral forgiveness. The only person that's involved in unconditional forgiveness is the person that was hurt. Okay, now you get bilateral with the conditional, you got unilateral now with the uh, uh, unconditional forgiveness. Another key verse that unconditional forgiveness people rely on is the verse when Jesus was just nailed to the cross. And this is in Luke 23, 34. Uh, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know what that, not what they do. Now, we have to remember that this verse, Jesus was not praying for the salvation of all those that we're crucifying them. We're part of that, uh, what was going on. Jesus more likely was praying for the actions of those that sent uh, Christ to the cross. There are some criticisms about unconditional forgiveness also. One is that unconditional uh, forgiveness does not stress the importance of repentance, which is central to how Christ forgives. Christ only forgives if there's repentance. So that's a criticism. It does not stress the priority of repentance. Also, uh, unconditional forgiveness requires Christians to be more forgiving and gracious than God himself. And third, when complete or true forgiveness is offered, it may be in the wrong context without, repent, without repentance. The offender may not realize they repent of their sins. I've seen this many times with all the mass murders and the shootings going on. Sometimes the police haven't even taken the, the tape down around the place and you see people holding up signs. We, we, we forgive you, such and such a person. You know, we forgive you. That in, its, in the way it's said does not accurately uh, portray what Christ wants. He wants repentance, but just saying, I forgive you, there's no incentive for that person that committed that mass murder or whatever to repent. He figures, hey, these people are already forgiven me. Why worry about it anymore? Well, how do we handle the elephant in the room between these two verses? We've got one verse, Luke 17, 34, that says, rebuke, repent, forgive. We've got another verse in Mark 11:25 that says, forgive anyone that has anything. Very unconditional, one very conditional, one very unconditional. So how do we resolve uh, that difference? 
I really like what one commentator said. It has to point you to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 83 for the answer. And question 83 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, are all sins equally evil? The answer, in the eyes of God, some sins in themselves are more evil than others, and some are more evil because of the harm that results from them. This is what makes forgiveness hard at times. You know, some offenses are minor, such as a slight of a word. Somebody said something to you that bothered you, or an unkind word or action between spouses. But when we deal with issues that destroy lives and relationships, like cheating spouse or the results of a drunken uh, driver, life can be very, very difficult at that point. You know, the simple answer to resolving these two Luke 17 and uh, Mark 11 verses is to acknowledge that some offenses require confrontation. Some offenses require confrontation and repentance, but there are many that do not. Now, let me go on to a third view. And this view is one that combines the intent of conditional and the intent of unconditional forgiveness. The, the third view, in my opinion, is very biblically strong because it brings in a number of other verses. Both these views rely primarily on one particular verse uh, for, their, uh, for their whole um, argument. But this third view does bring in other verses that speak to forgiveness. And then it does answer a lot of the criticisms of the, uh, that were, what we talked about on forgiveness. And it's also very defendable based on our definition of forgiveness. Now, authors who have discussed this third view have not said it on a name. So I can't say this is called such and such. A lot of times what they, when they talk about it in the literature, they say a combination of conditional and unconditional forgiveness. That's a mouthful. So for purposes of tonight, we're going to refer to it as grace forgiveness. Grace forgiveness, okay? And grace forgiveness acknowledges that there are times when forgiveness must, must be withheld from an offending parties until they repent. But it's not true of all forgiveness. Many times, forgiving unilaterally, unconditionally, where the offended party offers forgiveness, regardless of whether the other party repents or not, is very appropriate, a type of forgiveness. Quick example, driving down the highway, somebody swerves in front of you, cuts you off. You know, you're getting mad at them, but you've got to forgive that person. Well, you're not going to come up and follow him, knock on his door and say, hey, you cut me off on 85 the other day. You're liable to be shot. And so there are a lot of cases where unilateral forgiveness is very, very appropriate. Uh, grace forgiveness is also focuses, <clears throat> focuses on the attitude of the heart and provides a good answer to the question, how does Christ forgive us? How does Christ forgive us? I want you to listen to these verses, and I want you to really pay attention to the attitudes of the heart that are listed before the command to forgive. Uh, the first one is in uh, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on, then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then Ephesians 4 uh, verses 2, 31 and 32 says, With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, let all bitterness, wrath, 
anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Doesn't sound very confrontational to me. Also, what's nice about it is our Reformed creeds all have the same sentiment. Uh, the Heidelberg Confession, the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism all say basically the same thing. So I'm going to read you part of what the Heidelberg uh, Confession says. It says, uh, forgive us just as we find this sign of your grace in us, that we are fully resolved to forgive our neighbors from our heart. Now, John MacArthur says uh, something that's very, very insightful, and I, I want to take time and read this. Uh, John, as he's re replying to uh, what does it mean to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And John MacArthur says, to make conditionality the gist of Christ-like forgiving seems to miss the whole point of what Scripture is saying. What Scripture instructs us to forgive in a manner that we have been forgiven what is in view is not the idea of withholding forgiveness until the offer, off offender expresses repentance. The emphasis is on forgiving freely, generously, willingly, eagerly, speedily from the heart. The attitude of the forgiver is what is in focus in the scripture, not the terms of forgiveness. Now, many authors agree that the vast majority of offenses that we live with in this life would probably be considered as petty, petty infractions, and should be handled unilaterally and forgiven uh, unconditionally. I like one author adds the word unceremoniously. So they should be handled unilaterally, unconditionally, unceremoniously. You know, even if you're the injured party or even if the offense was in public and flagrant, you have a choice of whether you want to forgive or not. Great example, Joseph in the Old Testament. Think about what happened to Joseph, his brothers, um, Potiphar, the jailer, being left in prison. Uh, but Genesis 50, 20 at the end tells us, it says, for as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? Good. God meant it for good. There are a lot of verses uh, that this unconditional for now, forgiveness can apply to. And in scriptures, a lot of times they're referred to as covering sins, covering sins. Let me read some of these to you. Uh, Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10.12, love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17.9, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Uh, Psalms 32.1, blessed is the one whose transgression is, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's interesting that the people in the conditional forgiveness camp agree that a lot of these petty uh, issues should be overlooked, but they stop short of calling it actual forgiveness, because if they call it actual forgiveness, then that's saying that you're unilaterally, unconditionally forgiven. And that doesn't agree with their definition where forgiveness is a bilateral transaction. But what about the lives that are destroyed? Uh, these, uh, we may know, may not be handled unconditionally as we, just, as we have discussed previously. But rather, these offenses need to be forgiven, but re not until repentance comes about. At this point, then, forgiveness is bilateral. Two parties are then involved. So how's the type of forgiveness fleshed out? Rebuke, repent, forgive. The goal is for the offender uh, to seek repentance. 
You know, that may be achieved by the person that was hurt going and asking for them to repent, or the offender may come to repentance on his own. But once for repentance has occurred, we must forgive them. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. We cannot hold their sin against them or cultivate a heart of unforgiveness. Now, biblical forgiveness includes repentance, it includes forgiveness, and it includes reconciliation. So following repentance, there needs to be a personal willingness to reconcile if that is possible, safe, and responsible. Let me summarize a little bit about what we said tonight. You know, what we've learned tonight, forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian, as we've seen. In how we, uh, number one, in how we daily repent and ask for forgiveness of our sins to God and how we forgive those people around us. Of the three types of biblical forgiveness that we discussed, I believe this one, grace forgiveness, offers the strongest biblical support of what it means to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Uh, knowing he hears our prayers because our forgiveness of others would then reflect the character and heart of God. I want to close by reading a quote from the author Bob Hostetler. He said, no matter how earnestly I feel someone has hurt me, I can choose today in realization of the grace of God, that the grace of God has shown me to extend mercy to others. I don't have to drag up warm, fe warm feelings about those people, but I can refuse to retaliate. I can wipe the slate clean. I can forgive that debt. I can pray, forgive us today as we are forgiving others. And as I do that day by day, I will be forgiven and I will experience the healing and wholeness that comes from releasing other sins against me and day by day be released from the sins hold on me as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we come to you today, we just acknowledge, first of all, that forgiveness is difficult. Father, I don't know that we've touched on the true meaning of forgiveness from your heart, but Father, we do, I do know, Father, that your heart's desire is that we have a heart that reflects you. In the verses that we read tonight, I really feel, Father, that you are one that has a loving heart towards others. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us, Father, to examine our own lives. There may be people here tonight, Father, that are struggling with forgiving somebody in the past. Father, I pray that you'll help that to be resolved because we know, Father, as long as that uh, is there, that their uh, relationship with you is blocked. Be with us tonight, Lord. Guide and direct us this week. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.